of what the Lord has intended for us in power. Okay, I really do. I think we come short where God would have us to be here. You know, we're here. We're saved. We're washed in the blood of Jesus. We belong to Him. We're loved by Him. We're going to heaven when we die. But there's a life that He wants us to live. And He left us here after He saved us for a reason. He left us here on the earth to be salt and light. He left us here to be uh, evangelists. He left us here to show forth His, His power and goodness and His desire for men to be saved. Otherwise, why, why did He leave us here? Why wouldn't He just save us and instantly rapture us? You know, He left us here for a reason. And we studied that in Second Peter chapter 3. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Well, His plan of evangelism or missions is through His church body. Spirit-filled body. Uh, a body that's basically, I would say, dialed in to the Lord, surrendered to the Lord and walking closely with the Lord. And so there's great power that the Lord has for us to walk in both personally and in ministry and service to the Lord. And so we talked last week, and I'm roughly following this book by Ari Torrey, How to Obtain Fullness of Power. And so I'm just kind of using it as a guide to go through. But uh, there was five things that he talked that we're going to talk about. Okay, how to obtain fullness of power. Uh, the word power of the word, okay, the word of God, which we started last week. We're going to try to finish that section tonight. Power in the blood of Christ, power in the Holy Spirit, power in prayer, and power the power of a surrendered life, a life that's fully surrendered to the Lord. And the scripture that's the key for this book is Psalm sixty-two, eleven, where where uh, it says, "Power belongeth unto God." Okay, power belongs unto God. So we started last week talking about this, and I think that many people desire power. If you ask anybody, even lost people, they want power, they'd say, yeah, whether it's physical strength, whether it's uh, power in, in uh, influence, you know, or power with wealth or something like that. Uh, but the God's people, there are many people seeking power. Let's say you keep getting defeated by the same sin in your life, and you belong to Jesus, and He forgives you every time, but you... Or I keeps uh, we can't seem to get past this some area in our life. Our weakness in prayer, our fear of witnessing. You know, we every time it comes to that moment, right to that crucial moment, we back down. And we've all done that before. But there are people praying for power and yet neglecting the Bible. They're neglecting to read the Bible. And Jesus, the Word of God says in Jeremiah that is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. And so there's power in the Word of God. So we started last week, and I'm not going to spend time on it, but uh, the three things that we covered, what does the Word of God have power to do? And, I'll, and it's, this is not trying to create something and build a doctrine that's not there. This is really biblical and scriptural, Okay. The Word of God has power to convict of sin. And so that was number one, if you're taking notes. The Word of God has power to convict of sin. Now, it's interesting that these work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. All right, so it's not either or. And we're going to get to the topic of the Holy Spirit uh, a couple of, you know, a couple of topics down the road after the blood of Christ, and we'll get to the Holy Spirit. But the Word of God has power to convict of sin. To convict a lost man of sin and a saved man of sin. 
Yes, the Holy Spirit working, but the, the medium that He uses or the instrument that God uses is the Word of God. And when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, the, the unbelievers, the lost people that were listening to this said, it says when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did they hear that pricked them in their hearts? They didn't understand it was the Holy Spirit. They didn't understand everything. They heard the Word of God. His sermon was very biblical. It was very scriptural. And he just preached Christ and Christ crucified and Christ risen from the dead. And, and they came out of conviction of their sin because the Holy Spirit was working in conjunction with the Word or through the Word. Uh, the second thing we looked at is that the Word of God has power to uh, regenerate. In other words, to, to bring from death to life. To take us from being lost to being saved. And the Bible says in James that, uh, that we are begotten by the Word of God. I'll just read this. Of His own will begat He us with the Word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Of His own Word. Of His own will begat He us with the Word of truth. We're born of the Spirit. We're born of the Word. Being born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So this is, this is biblical truth. And the, the next thing that the Word of God, this is a quick review. Uh, the, the Word of God has power to produce faith. And I'll just give you one scripture. Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God gives us something to lay hold on. Our faith is not based on nothing. Our faith is not something that's uh, some mystical kind of a touchy-feely thing that's floating around in the cosmos somewhere. And some people have it and some people don't. Uh, all men don't have faith, but all men could have faith. Okay, the, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What did he believe? He believed the promise that God made to him that you're going to be the father of many nations. Even though against hope, he had hope. Okay? Because nothing in the natural backed up what God said. There was no evidence to it other than God. He swears by his own self. He doesn't have any higher to swear by. And in saying it, he's going to perform it. And we latch hold on that and our faith is strengthened. And sometimes our faith is weak and sometimes it's built up. But if we keep taking a steady diet of the Word of God, our faith is going to continue to grow. And like I said, it's not based on nothing. It's based on the Word of God and the God of the Word and His promises. So we're going to move on tonight. The fourth thing that the Word of God has power to do, and according you know, to this book that we're following, is you can turn there if you want to in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. The Word of God has power to cleanse. To cleanse. Alright? And this is a very... Uh, you know, clear scripture on that. Ephesians chapter 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's how he chooses to cleanse. Okay, there's a sanctifying of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, but the instrument that he uses is the word of God. Have you ever thought about this? And I know you know the Scripture about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay? When we were lost, we, we had a worldly 
mind and mindset. We didn't realize it was a worldly mindset. We were just carnal in all of our reasoning, how we made decisions, our outlook on things. Everything was just carnal. It couldn't be otherwise, okay? Because that's the only mind we have. But the Bible says now you have the mind of Christ. And so those carnal thoughts, we still have a carnal nature, it's still here, right? It can, they can still creep in, but the Word of God is spiritual. The Word of God has authority over that. The Word of God puts all that down and takes it a place above that. The Word of God. Yeah, what, what did God say? What, what, is, what does my carnal mind say? And how does it reason? And then what does the Word of God say? It has authority. And what it does is it cleanses our minds to where in our hearts, obviously, but it cleanses our lives to where we start thinking rightly. More as a pattern. And that takes a while. It takes, it's an ongoing process, but, but literally we start to think like God thinks. We start to think biblically. We see something on the news and we can put a scripture on it. You know, know what I mean? We're able to say, this is man calling wrong, right, and right, wrong. Just like the Bible said, this is uh, the world being prepared for Antichrist. Just like the Bible says, we see it taking place. Okay? This is the love of many waxing cold. Just like the Bible says. You know what I mean? We, we're able to, to see it and think rightly. And then, well, what would God have me to do? He'd have me to pray. He'd have me to witness. He'd have me to, to be a, a testimony for Christ in this earth. And so the Word of God uh, takes impurities out of our heart. He, he cleanses us with His Word. And then He's also able to cleanse our outward life by, by laying the parameters for our life and how we're to live. The Word of God. You know, it's like Joseph in the Old Testament uh, when he was in Potiphar's house and, and Potiphar's wife wanted to, him to be unfaithful with her. And he said he fled and he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? God was in his thoughts. He knew, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not commit adultery, you know, or fornication in these things. And so, yes, the Holy Spirit, it all works together, but certainly the Word of God. And y'all, we have to understand that Though the world we live in is not clean, it's not morally clean. You might have a happy day, and today's a real pretty day, and a sunny day, and everything like this, but the, the moral climate of the planet, because of fallen man and sin, and because the God of this world, who's so active at work and he knows his time is short, uh, this world is not clean morally. It's the only way to be cleansed, cleansed through the blood of Jesus, okay? So what do we have to do? We're out in the world all day. We come to church tonight together. You say, well, I went Sunday. I don't need to come tonight. But we do need to come. We need to come regularly as a pattern all through our lives. It's not saying we never miss church. I'm talking about as a pattern, as a lifestyle. Stretching out over the long haul. Because we come and we're cleansed by the washing of the water of the Word. And Dee had the, the songs that we sang tonight about... Word of God speak and open our ears. Tell us what you have to say. And uh, ancient words ever true. And we're talking about the Word of God because we need to take baths, so to speak, or showers in the Word of God and let it cleanse us. Let it wash over and renew our minds and our hearts and get us thinking rightly again. Get some of that yucky stuff out of my mind. It's in my heart a little bit. I didn't realize it, but I got some what tainted by it a little bit, just being in the world, hearing the guys at work, you know, whatever I was around, had a bad day, and we didn't realize it, but God realizes it. 
and he has an answer for it. We need to realize it. I need to get to the Word of God. Not just in church, but in your your daily uh, reading as well. And so we need to take frequent baths, so to speak, in the Word of God and let the Lord wash us. There's a wonderful, the whole Psalm 119, we know it's about the Word of God. But in verse 9, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? So here's a young man starting out in life, basically. How's he going to keep his way clean? And walk in a way that's acceptable to God and morally pure and so forth, uprightly before the Lord. Certainly we've got to be saved. I understand that. But just filling in the blanks, wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way? It's a question mark. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Not only hearing it, but taking heed to the word of God. That's how my way is going to be clean. So let's move on. So the word of God has power to cleanse. The fifth thing, what does the word of God have power to do? Has power to build up spiritually to take us and strengthen us. The Bible says speaking the truth in love that we would grow up in Him. That we would grow up in Christ Jesus. We've talked a lot about sanctification and spiritual growth and fruit bearing and maturity in the Lord and maturing in the Lord. And that is God's purpose and plan for everyone that's saved. For everyone that's in Christ Jesus. He never takes people and just leaves them flat at that level. Even when He saves us and brings us out of sin and puts His Holy Spirit in and says, you're my child. And we say, thank God for that. And He robes us in the righteousness of Christ. But He wants to build us up. He wants us to take us from where we are to where He wants us to be. That never, ever stops. And I say it all the time. It doesn't stop until we see the Lord face to face. Because in the Bible says in the rapture, we'll be changed. Even our vile bodies will be changed and fashioned like unto His glorious body. But between now and then, you know good and well God's working in your life. Praise God that He's working in our lives. The question is no longer salvation, lost or saved. You know, heaven or hell, that's not even the question. The question now is growing or staying stagnant. Growing or sliding back. Maturing in Christ or not maturing in Christ. And this is the will of God. Even your sanctification, the Bible says, he wants us to be separated unto Him. And this is, herein is your Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And so, the, the, the gears switch a little bit just from being saved and that's enough. He saved me for a purpose. He put a holy calling of God upon our lives. It's an upward calling. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And He's moving us upward and onward in the Lord. And like I said, there's little blips on the radar. We feel like we're going down. But the overall picture needs to be this. It needs to be a steady growth. It's really probably not like a, a, a bottle rocket shooting off and just skyrocketing. It's probably more 365 days a year growing in Christ. Him testing us. Him allowing us to go through trials. And putting people in our lives that rub us the wrong way. And You know what I mean? And, and testing us. And all the ways that he, he tries us, but the Word of God is able to build us up. So it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, this is the last time Paul was going to be with these Ephesian believers. And he had the leaders of the church there. Okay? The leaders. And this was a big church. The church at Ephesus was a big church. I think Paul had spent like three years there or something, if I'm not mistaken. And Timothy was the first, you know, became the pastor of that church at Ephesus. 
But this was the last time that Paul was going to be with him. His last missionary trip. He's going back to Jerusalem. He's going to be uh, arrested you know, in the temple or right outside the temple and, and basically spend the rest of his life in prison until he's beheaded. Still ministering. But, uh, but the last time he was with them, and he says in verse 32, I commend you to God and to what? And to the word of his grace, which is able to do what? To build you up. It's not just God's grace. It is God's grace. It's not just grace per se. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. The word of his grace. So basically he's saying, I'm not going to be with you hands on anymore. You say, no, don't do that. And here's how you need to give. And here's how you need to pray. And here's how you choose elders for the church. And I'm not going to be here for that anymore. I'm commending you to the word of God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That's what I'm, I'm putting you in the word of God's hands in God's hands. Amen. And so let's look at this real quickly in second Peter. Now we studied this. It's been a while now since we studied second Peter one, but turn with me if you would to second Peter chapter one. It's a wonderful study. I think just Going through those scriptures in First and Second Peter, let's read five through seven. You'll, you'll remember some of this as we read it. Second Peter one five. Beside and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. And so. He says, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see that there is a progress, right? There's a building up. There's adding to your faith virtue. And adding to your virtue knowledge. And, and you keep, you know, it's a seven story building as one pastor put it. And we have in our day, he said, a lot of one story Christians. They're really born again, but they don't move on. They don't add to their faith virtue and to their virtue knowledge and brotherly kindness and so forth and charity and love. They, they just think this is all that there is. But the Word of God is able to build us up. And He wants us to add to this, this. And add to this, this. And add to this, this. It's a working of God's Spirit. But we're instructed by the Word and the Word of God is living. It's not just an owner's manual or a map. It would include that for the Christian life, but it's living. It's not like any other word. It's the living word of the living God. And the word of God is able to build us up, Paul said. And Peter's saying the similar thing here. And so uh, he says the same thing. If you brought right there, just turn to First Peter chapter 2, verse 2. And I'm going to go ahead and read it. As newborn babes... Desire, that word desire means a strong craving. You know, we kind of, in, in that English language, it might look like it's not that strong. As newborn babes crave the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Why? Because the word of God is able to grow us up as believers. We're born again by it, okay? But we're also to grow and continue in the same word, the same Bible, the same living word that he's given us. And so, uh, 
if we're going to grow, then we need to we need to be feasting on the Word of God. It has everything that we need. Amen. The Word of God has everything that we need. But you'll hear people today, and tell me if you've heard this. You know, you listen to Christian radio or look at things online or read other Christian books, and I'm not at all opposed to it. I'm reading other books right now tonight. But the point is that you, you might hear things like what we need is, and they'll fill in the blank with something else. No, we need, we need to, uh, to study the church fathers. You ever heard that one? The church fathers. We need to study the mystics and the ancients and see how they did it. We need to study uh, the Greek and the Hebrew to really, or we can't possibly have an understanding. And, and I would disagree with that. Studying the Greek and Hebrew can be very helpful, no doubt about it. But Paul says, I commend you to the word of his grace. And so if we could only have one thing and all we had was the Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit, we've been washed in his blood and we have our Bibles and you studied the Bible. I don't mean just read it. Like you read the when I, when I read the paper, y'all, I get the paper and I read it. I look at the headlines. And if it's something interesting, I might read the first little paragraph. And I save the sports for last because that's really what I want to see. I'll, you know, I save that. But that's not how we're to go to the the Bible. We're to roll up our sleeves, so to, so to speak, and prayerfully sit before the Lord in His Word. Yes, we read it, but we're also to study it, and we sit under the teaching of it, like we're doing tonight. And God is able to build us up by His Word. Alright? So the next thing. What does the God, Word of God have power to do? Six things. Psalm 119, 130. And it says, The entrance of thy Word giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. So the Word of God is able to give wisdom. <laughs> Not the world's wisdom. And the Bible is very clear and differentiating between the two wisdoms. There's very clearly the wisdom of this world. You know what the wisdom of this world did? Says it, that Paul says, he says, the world in its wisdom didn't know God. And the world in its wisdom crucified the Lord when He came. The Savior came. We know it was God's will and plan, but it wasn't a purity of men's heart. It was sin on man's part that crucified him and say, we don't want this man to rule over us. So the wisdom of this world is not the same as the wisdom of God. God's word, the entrance of thy words, or the opening up, basically, of the word of God. First, you're counseling somebody and they're having a tough time and you both might really be stopped. I mean, honestly, you're like, man, I, I really am a Christian. You're a Christian. I really don't know what to do. But you know, if we'll go to God's Word, He'll lead us. We go to God in prayer. The Holy Spirit directs us. I'm not talking about one of these where you do this and wherever the bottom of my finger falls in the Scripture, that's it. I'm talking about being led by God. Okay? And by His Spirit. But His Word gives wisdom. Let's look at this. Uh, we, I quoted that one Scripture from Psalm 119, but turn there and I want to look at another one. Psalm 119, verse 98. This is what David says. Psalm 119, 98 through 100. Thou through thy commandments, that's God's word, instruction, has made me wiser than my enemies. You want to be wiser than your enemies? I do. 
We can say, well, God's smarter. That's all that counts. But He wants us to walk in wisdom. Okay? He wants us to be wise when a situation comes up. Yes, it's Christ in me. I understand that. But he's, you know, wisdom is going to come from knowing the Bible. Knowing the Word of God. And so He says, Thou through Thy commandments has made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for Thy testimonies are my meditation. So he understands more of God's Word than the people that taught him because he chose to meditate on God's Word. Everybody might read the Bible, but everybody doesn't meditate on the Bible. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. So all three tied into his wisdom that he had and it tied into the Word of God. And so this is the same for us, y'all. And let's look at one more passage real quickly in Proverbs Chapter 1. And we know the whole book basically is to have wisdom. Godly wisdom. So I just want to read a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 1 verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive instruction of wisdom. Justice and judgment and equity. To give subtlety to the simple. And to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Verse 23, the same proverb. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you, and I will make you know, make known my words unto you. And so the wisdom is going to come through God's word, through God's instruction. All right? And the author of this book was saying uh, there might be a lot of people who. Uh, who are in the church even that are very educated. Nothing wrong with education at all. But he said there are people that are educated that might be in pulpits and they speak eloquently and so forth, and yet there's no uh, wisdom of the Bible. There's no wisdom of the Bible. And he says, I would, rather, I would rather sit at the feet of someone that's uneducated, but knows the Word of God and hear what they have to say. Much rather sit at the foot of somebody like that that knows God and knows the Word of God and is able to rightly divide the Word. I'm going to sit under them and hear what they have to say as opposed to someone with a bunch of maybe degrees even in divinity and so forth that they don't really study their Bible. They don't spend their time in the Bible. And uh, all, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We know the passage in 2 Timothy, but it says that the man of God so for the believer, may be perfect. Perfect here means fulfilled or completed. So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Why? That the man of God, that's the believer, may be complete or for, uh, fulfilled completely. Alright? Perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's going to come through the Word of God. You're not going to grow apart from the Word of God. You're not going to be wise with godly wisdom apart from the Word of God. That's His means of doing that. Let's move on. The seventh thing, the Word of God has power to give assurance of eternal life. I remember preaching on this over a year ago. It's important. Have you ever doubted your salvation as a believer? Have you ever had this fear come upon you that I'm not really saved? Or I wonder if I'm not really saved? Or all of a sudden, I'm not sure. 
Do you think God wants us to live that way? Absolutely 100% not. And there are other religions that you're not going to know if you're saved until you die, according to their religion. Then you'll know. If you've done enough good works, if you've done enough this, if God's pleased with you, if God's in a good mood on that day, you won't know because you can't, you're trying to measure your good against your bad, your religious good against your you know, failure to do what your religion has told you. And God does not want His people to live that way. A lost man's lost and God wants them to know they're lost. Because if they know they're lost, then they, might be, they can be saved. And a saved man is saved and God wants them to know that they're saved. Even if I've sinned, even if I've sinned since I've been saved, even if I've sinned horribly and often since I've been saved, if I'm truly born again, He wants me to know that I'm born again. Do I, do I need to be corrected for my sin? Absolutely. Do I need to repent, confess, be forgiven? Do I need to uh, get more serious about my walk with God and grow in Christ? Yes, 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 and yes. But He doesn't ever want me to doubt that I belong to Him. I'm His child. And I've used the example before as my, with, with one of my children, and this is just totally made up, but those of you that have children can relate. If you had a big knockdown, falling out with one of your children, say he's, uh, he or she is older and grown, and, and they, there's such a falling out, you're both believers, okay? And, and that, that child's gets mad and leaves and they want nothing to do with mom or dad anymore. And they move halfway around the planet. You don't know their phone number and you don't know anything about them. What's going on in their life? Are they any less your child? They're not at all any less your child. And if they came home in the next five seconds, you would welcome them with open arms. God wants us to know, even if we've sinned, we still belong to Him. That should never be a doubt. And so the Word of God gives us assurance of that. The question is, oh, they moved halfway around the world and I haven't talked to them in three years and I don't know their phone number. Uh, you would say you're estranged, to say the least. But that's still my child, right? They didn't cease to be my child. Well, listen to this, y'all. 1 John 5.13, if you're taking notes. 1 John 5.13. These things have I written unto you, that's the Word, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, not hope, not wish, you understand what I'm saying, not think? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. God gives that assurance. And Suppose you have, let's say it's yourself or say you're a good friend and they're, they're Christian. And, but all of a sudden the devil puts this fear in their heart or their mind. Don't stay there, by the way. It happens. It's happened to me before. It happens. Don't live in that. Okay? The Word of God is the answer to that. If somebody came to me that I knew was a, knew was a Christian, you know, uh, Peter comes to me and says, I wonder if I'm really saved. I, would have to, I wouldn't just tell him, go pray about it. We need to give him something to lay hold on. Like 1 John 5.13. And give him something to lay hold on, to, to base it upon. And it says in John 3.36, you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to quote from there. The Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And there's a period right there. 
What does it say? He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Has it right now. The Bible also says in John, I think chapter 5, that when we believed in Jesus, we've passed from death unto life. It's a passing that's behind us. It's not a bridge we can cross back over. It's we've passed from one state to another state. And so if somebody's doubting their salvation and they really are saved, and it's just their own flesh that they're afraid or Satan is trying to, to make them fearful, then you can't just say, go pray about it. You, you hold them to this Scripture and say, read it yourself. And like, hold them. You know, hold their nose right there until they get it. Until they see. Until they lay hold on it and say, do you believe God? Yes. What does His Word say? His Word says that He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And these things I've written unto you that you may know that you have and so forth. And you hold them there and we lay hold on that because God promises and yea, let God be true and every man a liar. God promises that he that believes on him has everlasting life. I know it sounds simple, but I love the simplicity of it. I love the simplicity of walking with God. There are deep things in the Word of God, but it's still simple. You know, He he reveals that to us. Let's move on. What else does the Word of God have power to do? We're going to cover, we've got just a few more things on this chapter and we'll we'll stop tonight after the Word of God. But these are in no particular order, by the way. Okay? And you might think of something else that you would add to this list of 11 things. All right? But the eighth thing is the Word of God has power to bring peace into into your heart. Peace into your heart. And here's a scripture that I'm really not that familiar with, but I'm glad it was in this book. Psalm 85, 8. Word of God has power to bring peace into your heart. I will hear, David says, what the Lord will speak. For He will speak peace unto His people and to His saints. I want to hear what God has to say. Because you know what? When I shut out all the other voices of the God of this world and my own flesh and other people and what's going on in the world in the newspaper and I shut out all of that and I just sit before the Lord. He says, I will hear what the Lord will speak. For He will speak peace unto me. Amen. Don't we need peace? The peace of God in our heart. There are people looking for peace today and longing for peace and praying for peace, aren't we? I do. But deep peace and true peace of heart is going to come from studying the Word of God. It's going to come from studying the Word of God. And Scripture is like that one. And we see from Genesis to Revelation, God's attitudes towards sinners, that He wants to redeem them. And then His attitude and His promises towards those He has redeemed. And the promises that He has for us in heaven. And so, that's going to bring peace to our hearts and minds. Yes, the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. So I said these work together. I'm not separating them. But the instrument that God uses is the Word of God. The promises that He has made to us and we lay hold on those. You've seen, I've seen bumper stickers. Maybe not recently. You know, no N-O, no justice, no peace. You know, in other words, if there's not justice. Well, man's idea of justice, first of all, is totally perverted. It's not at all. I think everybody have this, should set in the same bank account. That's justice, you know, or something like that. And so that is ludicrous. But if that's the mindset, I promise you they'll never have peace. 
No justice, no peace. We're not going to have justice without Jesus Christ reigning on this earth because He's just. Righteousness and truth are the habitation of His throne. And one day He'll reign and rule on the earth over people with a rod of iron. But He can reign and rule in my heart now and give me peace now. So it's not a point of justice. If we all got justice, what we deserve, we'd all be in hell. We get mercy, all right? And with the mercy, you know, we get the forgiveness and, and we have the Word of God. And that's where the peace of God comes from. Amen? A peace of God that He gives us. All right, let's move on. The Word of God has power to produce joy. This is the ninth thing. The Word of God has power to produce joy. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Now we could probably find other similar verses to this, but that's pretty clear, isn't it? Jeremiah says, you spoke your word to me, you know, I had it and I ate it. I feasted upon your word. Remember the sincere milk of the word, the meat of the word? He feasted upon God's word. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Jeremiah lived, he's known as a weeping prophet. He lived in, he wrote Jeremiah in Lamentations. It was a time when his people were taken captive and into Babylon and for 70 years and they wouldn't listen to him. And he was preaching the truth and he was living the truth and it was frustrating. It was more than frustrating. It was heartache to see uh, when, when, the, when he was actually witness to it when the, the Babylonians came in and didn't spare the old men, the children, the pregnant women. They didn't care. They ripped them up. I mean, he's watching all this and he's saying, what has happened to God's people? Why wouldn't they listen? When, when he gave them the prophecy, the king threw it in the fire and burned it up. He had to rewrite it all out again. Uh, they threw him in the pit and he sank down to the pit. We know the story. But his, he says, your word, when I feasted upon it, it was the one thing, not circumstances, but the word that you gave me was the rejoicing of my heart. And we need to be able to lay hold on God like that and on His word. Amen? I ask God to help me to do that. I'm not joyful all the time. Bad news bothers me. You know, I don't like it. I want, I'm happy when 10 out of 10 things go right today. You know, but when the things aren't going right, Can I still be joyful? Yes, I can be. It's going to come through the Comforter. And it's going to come as I study the Word of God and lay hold on the Word of God. Jesus said this in John 15, 11. These things have I spoken unto you. That's His Word. That my joy might remain in you. Was Jesus joyful? Was He depressed? No, He wasn't depressed. He might have been burdened over something. He hated sin. He hated it always. Okay? But he says, I've spoken unto you these things that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So fullness of joy is going to come from the Lord, but specifically through the Word of God. Me believing it. Okay, It doesn't mean we just walk around 24-7 with the Bible in front of us. But we take His Word and we hide it in our heart, right? And that's what we're moving on to now. Well, and actually a couple more things. Um... So the, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, y'all, and He brings it home. You might have heard something in, in church or 
you might have heard some biblical truth a thousand times. But at some point, you laid hold on it. And you can almost remember when you laid hold on it. And that particular truth became true to you in your heart. It can't be taken away. You understand? It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. Where, where it takes it from being, we know it's true, we're in amen and agreeing, but where God takes it and plants it in us. And that's a wonderful thing. It becomes a part of me. And that's what Jeremiah was saying. I, I ate your word. I feasted on it. It became the rejoicing of my heart. Okay, two more things. The Word of God, this number 10, has, and again, in no particular order, Word of God has power to bring patience, comfort, and hope as well. We're putting these together. Patience, comfort, and hope. Because what happens is, we're impatient. Why haven't you come yet, Lord? Look how wicked the world is. I've never seen it this bad. I've never seen our nation like it is. I've never seen evil men and seducers waxing so worse and worse like this. And we're impatient. We want the Lord to come now. But He gives us a promise that He's coming. And so we can hold on to the promise and He gives us patience while we wait. And so just listen to the Scripture in Romans 15.4. For whatsoever things were written before time were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The things that were written before, as in, as in Paul's day, the things that were written before were written for our admonition, our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And it's exactly what we talked about Abraham earlier, but against hope, he believed in hope. He didn't make write his own ticket and say, God, you have to do it. God spoke to him and made a covenant with the man. And it was very detailed in Genesis chapter 12. It's restated in Genesis chapter 15. If I'm not mistaken, in some of the other chapters, maybe 17, the covenant's restated. And it's the same. Okay? And Abraham believed that. He believed that. And he was able to hang in there, so to speak. And, and have patience. So we, we lay hold on the promises of God and it brings hope and enable, enables us to be patient where we otherwise would go out of our minds and wouldn't be patient, right? We wouldn't have hope. We would say all hope is gone. But no, all hope is not gone because I have a scripture right here that tells me that the Lord's coming back for His saints, right? And that He's not unrighteous to forget your labor that you've showed as you've ministered to the saints. You know, you feel like, God, the wicked are getting away with it and I'm here over here serving you and, and I'm getting hammered and I don't think there's any justice with God. We might never say those words, but we might think it. And then we turn to the Bible and it says He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I saw the wicked like a green bay tree spreading himself. And then I looked again and they were gone. God brought them to a swift end. The one that was proud and boastful and godless and looked like he was getting away with murder. God, he didn't get away with anything. God's got it under control. So I go to the Word of God. You know the passage. It's in Psalm 37. But go into it regularly and bring it to our remembrance brings us that hope and that patience. And the last thing we'll talk about tonight 
uh, is finally the Word of God has power to protect from error and sin. And the author puts these two together. The Word of God has power to protect from error. That'd be like doctrinal error and deception. And from sin. So uh, Paul warned, and we kind of referred to this verse earlier, but Paul told those elders at Ephesus when he committed them to the Word of God's grace, it says, uh, you know, he put them in God's hands and he had told them that there were going to be wolves in sheep's clothing, clothing even in their own midst. Even some of those elders that were sitting there talking to Paul. He didn't know which one, probably. Or he probably would have dealt with it. But he said, out of this group right here, there's going to be someone that rises up trying to lead people away from the truth. And he committed them to the Word of grace. The Word of God. So God's Word is able to take care of that. And so it protects us. Just listen to this, what Paul said to Timothy, who was the pastor of that church in Ephesus later. And you can take note, 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 15. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Listen, but here's... Okay, that's, that's a characteristic of the end times. Deception is a characteristic of, characteristic of the end times. Right? We're talking about this more this coming Sunday as well. They're just, but, here's our instruction. Keep it simple. But Paul, I mean, uh, Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. But wait, it's getting worse and worse. The deception's getting worse and worse. More people over there are falling away from the faith. I thought for sure they would never fall away from the faith. It's happening all around me. And he says, but Timothy, you just continue in the things which thou hast learned. And hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So somebody that's constantly feeding upon the Word of God, we'll be closing with this thought, someone that's constantly feeding upon the Word of God is going to be protected. That is God's means. The Holy Spirit, okay? But the Word of God, He protects us from the multiplying errors of our day. Because there are many. There will be more tomorrow when we wake up. I never heard of that one. That's a new false doctrine. That's pretty clever. That's pretty crafty. Somebody else falls away. They stood strong here, here, and here, and this new thing came, and they went for that. But if we'll stay feasting upon the Word of God, then we're not going to fall victim. And I think the only reason that people do fall victim to false doctrines and deception is they're not rightly grounded and continuing. It's not a past tense. It's an ongoing tense. <coughs> grounded in the Word of God. And they depart from it and they get lax or they start reading other books and Christian books instead of the Bible and so forth. And we can be swayed. And so it can protect us from error, but can also protect us from personal sin. Alright? Personal sin. Thy Word, Psalm 119.11, have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against Thee. And it's important that we understand His Word is hidden in our heart. Is it in our minds too? Absolutely. And we're washed and cleansed and our minds renewed. We can think it. It's in our mouth. The word is faith is not. Is not even in our mouth. But it has to be hidden in our heart that we won't, won't sin against uh, the Lord. 
And so anytime we neglect the Word of God, you know what we're doing? We're leaving an open door for the devil to come in. We're leaving it. We'll say, well, God didn't protect me and so forth. That's really not the truth because He told me to, to stay in the Word daily and to study it and to walk in it and to meditate on it and give thyself wholly to it. Right? Continually. So when I don't, I'm leaving an open door for Satan to come in. At some point, I'm not saying you'll be demon-possessed. I'm giving him some place in my life where, where it could cause me to sin. Where it could tempt me and entice me. Because I didn't shut that door to Satan with the Word of God. Even Jesus, y'all, when He was tempted three times in the wilderness, we know the story. After He fasted 40 days and nights, every time to the three temptations, He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Well, if it works for the Lord, and that's the means that He used, filled with the Holy Ghost, and filled with the Word of God and used it rightly, that, that's sufficient for us. Amen? Filled with the Holy Ghost and with the Word of God. And so, uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, kind of getting pumped up at this conference or at this youth conference or at this service or, or whatever. And, you know, I had a touch from God. But... You know, they want a new feeling of the Holy Ghost, which we do, and we're talking about in Sunday school, okay? But the instrument through which the Holy Spirit works is largely forgotten, and that is the Word of God. Jesus said He'll take the things I've spoken to you and make them real to you, right? And so we can't forget, and the result is you have people get pumped up, so to speak. I'm not saying they're lost or saved. They're, I'm saying they're not saved. They'll get pumped up at an event where they get real on fire for, quote, for the Lord, and yet it, it dies out because there's, there's no steady increase with the Word. Their usefulness to God is no more than it was the day before. It just, it's a little flame that just burns right back out again. And uh, it's not the Word of God or the Holy Ghost, for example. It's both. It's the Word of God as revealed and taught by the Holy Spirit. And so, but honestly, it's much easier for a lazy person to get pumped up at a service or concert, Christian concert or whatever, than it is to plod along, if you want to put it that day, that way, day in and day out in the Word of God. Isn't it? Isn't it easier to go get pumped up in a weekend retreat or a, a Christian concert with the music you really love? and you're just on cloud nine, then to daily stay in the Word of God and study it and read it. One has a lasting effect, the Word of God, that's going to really be built up in your mature in the faith. The other, it fades as quickly as it came. And God wants us to be persistent in the Word of God. And so it's going to, it's going to fade away if it's not built upon the Word of God. Amen? It has to be. And I just, uh, I just want to close with that. If, you, if we don't want our leaf to wither, so to speak, and whatsoever we do, it shall prosper. It says in Psalm 1 that we need to delight in the Word of God and meditate on it day and night. I don't care if you think this is old school, old fashioned, whatever. It's biblical. It's the truth. It's where we need to stay, y'all. And God grows us. He's able to do it by His Spirit. I'm just going to close with that. D, you can come. And uh, I didn't tell you anything you didn't know tonight. 
But let's just take some time at this altar.